Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com And welcome back to Little Cuts, our weekly mini-sode where we dig into the things that we've been watching recently. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. This week we are talking more horror anime, an erotic catfishing thriller, a movie with all of the trigger warnings, mm-hmm. then we say her name, her name, her name, and then end with a fun problematic movie with a problematic history. Man, yeah. the past couple of weeks we've really had a great range of weird shit. It's incredible. <laughs> we certainly have between uh, what we've been just been watching and also uh, the main feed, which we'll get to later. Yeah. It's like just a lot of uh, a lot of bizarreness, but a lot of I love bizarre. it. I do too. Okay, but first, let me start with the horror anime really quick because, right. like, it's just I'm a little late to the 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 ship on this. Late to the ship. I don't. What the fuck was that? Whatever. I'm late to this one, but it's called Jujutsu Kaisen. Okay. It is a relatively new um, anime horror anime that came out last year or this year, and it's only have one season. But basically, it's about a boy who swallows a cursed finger and has to fight monsters. I have questions. How does how, how does he swallow a, a cursed finger? Okay, so this boy is in an occult club in high school, and okay. they find they just so happen to find a very cursed object. Like, they're three nerds who are just like, oh, yeah, ghosts and shit. And they find this object, and they're just like, oh, well, what is it? It's a cursed finger. And in, like, you know, they un- <laughs> like they unleash the curse, and it's, like, really, like, fucked up. And, like, these monsters are everywhere. And they meet these students called – they're students of jujutsu, and they're sorcerers. So it's, like, a kind of, like, spiritual magic – not spiritual magic. It's, a, it's, like, a form of magic where people fight these monsters and curses. Okay. Um, and curses are born from strong human emotions. And so right. 
this they're having this like crazy fight over this cursed finger, this cursed object, and this guy <laughs> swallows the finger to save everybody. It's like that kind of stereotypical anime thing where he's like, I have yeah. to save everybody. So he does it. So I'm gonna eat this finger. So <laughs> of course, again, this is anime. He swallows the finger and instead of being consumed by the evil, mm-hmm. he's able to control the evil. So it's Kay. this very sweet boy, Itadori. And then he has a demon inside of him and he can let the demon surface and help you fight and help fight. And then he can push him down. And he's just like his very silly, cute, high, like dumb high schooler self. Wow. And it is very fun. And it is very, it's like, it's really intense. And the monster design is really good. And like the stakes are really high, but they also have the characters are pretty funny. So it's got this good kind of balance of being silly and also really fucking intense. Like, if you, if anyone listening is familiar with Attack on Titan, mm. like, do you know Attack on mm-hmm. Titan? I do. So, have you watched it? I've watched like three episodes. So you know how everything's fucking sad and the stakes are really high and oh, everyone's yeah. depressed. Uh-huh. This this takes that vibe, but like knows how to kind of water it down with co- comedic parts okay. and fun char- characters that are a little bit more fun and funny. All right. So it kind of has that vibe, but doesn't want it to be as soul crushingly depressing <laughs> as Attack on Titan is. At least that's like, and I'm, I haven't finished yet. I'm watching it right now, but yeah, it's really, it's a good horror anime. That's like got a really good mix of really creepy, gross monsters and really good fights cool. and really endearing characters. Uh, where's it streaming? Is it, I am currently watching it on the Crunchyroll app. Okay. And I don't have any, I don't pay for anything. It's free. There's commercials and the, the, the ads are the most horrifically like timed ads, <laughs> but I watch it on the Crunchyroll app. Okay. And that you said that's just one, one season out? Just one season. I don't know how many episodes it is, but it's just one season for now, but there's going to be multiple because cool. basically the goal is he, that one finger is the finger of a demon and he has four arm. He has four hands. So he has. They oh, have to find all twenty fingers. That's a lot of fingers. Eat all twenty fingers, and then they're gonna kill him after. Oh, he, he has all to eat fingers. A- oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yum. It's wild. I know it's gross, and like the the, the like the <laughs> finger is like mummified and has like a uh, long black nail, oh, of course and he swallows it, it whole, and he's like, wow, and I'm like, oh, the nail, the nail, <laughs> the nail, the nail. Wow. Uh, but yeah. What's it called again? Jujutsu Kaisen. Okay. So I think Jujutsu, but no I. All right. And then Kaisen. Wow. It's great. What about this erotic catfishing thriller? Okay. So <laughs> the opposite of what I just said. Right. <laughs> so I, I, you know, this is sort of, um, okay. It's, it's kind of tangentially thriller esque. I would say it's more of a drama than a thriller. Okay. But I had to bring it up because it stars one. Juliette Binoche, who <laughs> we've wondered, does she have poo in her butt? Does she have poo in her butt? <laughs> From <laughs> does Juliette Binoche have poo in her butt? No. <laughs> Call back to the episode where we talked about um, King Knight. King Knight, yes. I was like, King something. <laughs> Why am I thinking King Princess, the artist? Yeah, so she stars as this um, middle aged woman who has been. Um, seeing this like very young twenty something year old guy, and they have a really, really a lot of chemistry. And after one weekend where he was supposed to stay with her, and he's like, "Oh, I gotta go," he starts to ghost her, and she calls him and doesn't get in touch with him. Gets in touch with his roommate, um, a man named Alex, and he's like, "Yeah, he's not here." Well, you can hear him talking in the background. So she decides to make. A Facebook profile of a young woman 
picture that she says she found online. And she starts talking with Alex, the, the roommate of the guy that she had been seeing. And they start to fall in love through texts and through calling and and like uh, phone sex and that kind of stuff. So there's like this intimacy that develops and then it starts to go from there. And it's the framing work is that she's talking to her psychiatrist about this after the effect. And she is telling her story. Oh, and boy, are there some twists and turns. Some of them I managed to figure out part of, of like what, what's happening or what the story that she's telling is how, how it's unfolding. But it's, um, it's really good. I'm sorry. I think I didn't think I What's told you what it's called. I was like, wait, hold on. <laughs> it's called Who You Think I Am. It's a French film. Oh, cool. Yeah. So Juliette Bonoche is in it. She is fantastic. And it's just. Does she have poo in her butt, though? I, you know, I don't know if she has poo in her butt. That I've, was that was a question that unfortunately did not get raised in, in the. It's a little I, long and it's a slow burn. There's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of things going on. So I get it. <laughs> there is. But it is a little long. It is a slow burn. So it might not be everyone's cup of tea, but I'll tell you, I was like enthralled the entire time. And um, it's very, very sad. It's very sad, but it's, it's all Great. about the lies that we tell and like cool. loneliness and how it can be crushing. But I also like that they, that it's like a catfishing story from the perspective of the catfish and she's an older woman. Yeah. You and, know what I mean? Like it's a perspective you don't really get like catfishing stories. They feel like you're always, it's always about the person who's getting catfished or the catfish person is like some kind of evil, like asshole who is like trying right. to murder people. And I mean, I don't know what happens in this movie, but the way you are describing it, it sounds like a much more kind of nuanced perspective oh. on what we do on the internet to be like the creation of our own like personalities on the internet and how easy it is to create fake people online. Yep. And once you start to like unfurl the like the the story about how what she is telling and the truth behind it all, it's deeply it's deeply sad. It's it's very it's very sad, and it does this really good job of um, making you kind of understand her motivations while she's doing it. Even though you're like, oh. this is not a good idea. You are doing something terrible. You are doing terrible things to this poor young twenty four year old man who thinks that you are twenty years, thirty years younger than you are. Mm. Um, but at the same time, oh. you're like rooting for her to find love. It's it's, it's such a, yeah, a nuanced perspective, and We're I. Where it's, can I watch it? It's coming out Friday. Um, okay. I'm not 100% sure if it's just theatrical, which means it would be a very limited theatrical release, or if it's yeah. coming on VOD. I'm not 100% sure. Okay. Um, if I find out, I'll put it in the show notes for, for listeners. But um, okay. it's it's really cool. good. Uh, and I think for some, for people that are looking for that kind of erotic tinge, th kind of psychological thriller, there's a lot going on here that's really good. Sweet. Jumping from that, though... <laughs> Uh, what is something, this? Something kind of uh, equally sad, but for very different oh, God. reasons. What is this movie with all the trigger warnings, Mary Beth? <laughs> this is The Sadness that we both saw at a Fantasia, um, directed by Rob Jabba's, Jabba's? Taiwanese zombie movie. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> um, okay. Let, okay, let me start from what it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Taiwanese Taiwanese zombie movie and it takes place after a pandemic hmm. has hit Taiwan hmm. 
and about the people's reactions to the pandemic and the fake news that people think is being spread and the conspiracy theories and the attitudes of people not taking it seriously and not taking precautions against a rise, like a, um, a mutation of the pandemic. Sounds familiar. Right. Thanks. I hate it. And so guess what? The virus does mutate and it mutates into something that is it acts like a form of rabies and attacks that part of your brain and it makes people evil. And when I say evil, <sighs> I mean like they it it's pure it is how it's been described. It's like every bad thing. It's like it's basically what happens when you have no longer have any concept concept of what's bad and you do the most fucked up shit imaginable in your head. And this movie is like the most fucked up shit imaginable. And these what is even like what is even more fucked up is like yeah, it's a zombie movie, but they're they're cognizant. They're still people. They're they speak like and that's what is where a lot of the mo mo most fucked up stuff comes from is their ability to vocalize like their desires, their really horrendous desires. And they're able to taunt and like communicate what's going on in their brains. Like zombies don't have, have that. These are like a whole other level. Think like 28 day later, 28 days later, like zombies and the worst psychopath you could ever think of. Like there's there's one scene, um, and if you don't want to be spoiled at all, but I think this kind of explains what we're talking about. So, but if you don't want to hear it, cut ahead a few uh, like twenty seconds. But there's one scene in which one of our heroes comes across this group of people that are beating up this man, and he saves this man right as they're about at, right as they had taken barbed wire, wrapped it around a pole, and are like using his crotch as like a battering ram against it. And he saves this, this poor guy from doing it. And he's like, why did you do that? I didn't get off. Like, this is the kind of shit. I was shit. just about to come. Yes. This is the kind of shit that we're talking about. It is deeply, deeply upsetting, deeply, deeply disturbing. Uh, it comes with almost any every, content every or trigger bad, warning. Yeah. Like every bad thing that you think could happen happens in this movie. And like, you know, people say that and you're like, Oh, it's not that bad. The thing is though, what makes this movie, it's not just the visuals. It's the fact that this movie taps into a fear we have now of mm -hmm. how mean that we can see people. Like the cruelty in this movie does not feel that far fetched, which sounds no. fucked up with what this movie is, but what is so horrifying and like I was watching this and texting Terry, like, I hate this fucking movie because this could happen. Like if there was some zombie virus like this that would break out today, yep. this would happen. Yeah. We are all so angry. Yeah. And there is so much anger in everyone's hearts right now for so many reasons. And not just political, like not just about the like, about the pandemic. And this movie is like what happens when people are able to express that. Yeah. And think of like uh, everyone anonymously being assholes on social media and then put that in real life. Like, I mean, we're talking like horrible things that are just happening. And it, the movie is so bleak in that regard and so nihilistic. And it's nihilistic in a particular way that I, we can't really talk about without spoiling it. So we won't. But it's this movie like just sort of reduces humanity to its worst and. I really, I mean, enjoyed it as saying it's kind of maybe. A, yeah. I really like, liked it. I, I did too. Don't, I mean, I would love to talk to Rob Javits again. <laughs> and I, maybe I would watch it again for that. But like, I don't, I, this isn't a movie that I would want to, I think, put in my regular viewing. 
No, and that's what's really, really interesting about this movie is it's so good. It's so well made. It is extreme horror. Oh, the effects too. At its best. It's yes, like the effects are disgusting. Mm-hmm. And it's extreme horror at its best at its best. But I don't ever need to experience it again. Like yeah. a lot of that imagery, I saw it once and I just, you know, no, that's okay. But it's a really well made. It's really movie. well made. Like it's not it's gratuitous with a purpose. Mm-hmm. And like again, I'm not I'm not always a person that's like you have to have a reason for the violence, but this isn't this isn't just like some exploitative bullshit where a guy can like show people getting tortured and it's like haha look at the women getting like raped and look at all these terrible things happening. Like there is a very pointed message behind it which makes it all the more awful yeah. to experience. So I it hasn't gotten distribution yet. I'll be curious to see. I've seen Raven Banner tweeting about it, so I'm wondering if they're the they're out they, of Canada. Yeah, they don't. Um, I don't know if. Yeah, I don't know if it's gotten picked up for full distribution yeah. now. Because I know, I think, but um, it's it's fuck it's fucked up. But I think because of all of the reception it got out of Fantasia, it's going to get picked up soon. So I I think you'll be able to see it. You'll be you'll be able to watch. It. And Rob Jabez won mm-hmm. Best Director, mm-hmm. I think, or New Flesh it? or something like that. I think New Flesh. Yes. Yeah, yeah. He won an award for it. So like, it's getting a lot of buzz. And I think it's going to be one of those movies that like it'll get acquired and cause a lot of conversation when it is released to the wider public. But I think I think any company would probably very smart to acquire this movie yeah i'm pretty sure i just want the blu-ray to never watch it (laughs) (laughs) i hate that's how i think i'm like i want the blu-ray yeah same though even though no one i know will ever watch it with me (laughs) it's so fucked up Uh, horrific it's amazing so uh, something a movie came out last week yeah just a little. Just a little. A little movie. Yeah. A little movie. I think it's a sequel. A se- yeah, a sequel. I don't know. Something I'm looking about in the mirror, names, and I'm like, I'm just for some reason feeling compelled to say Nia DaCosta. Nia DaCosta. Yeah. Nia DaCosta. It's a name that really rules off your tongue, like it does. really well. It sounds good. You know what sounds even better hmm. than Nia DaCosta? What's that? Nia DaCosta's Candyman. Yeah. Say, what was that? Say it one more time. Nia DaCosta's Candyman. Fuck one more yeah. time. Nia DaCosta's <laughs> motherfucking Candyman. Nia DaCosta's Candyman. One more time for the for the for ba, the, ba, ba, for the folks. Nia DaCosta's Candyman. <laughs> and here she is, right next to me. Oh. Um, hi. Oh, this is hi. now an interview. Hi, hi Nia. Oh my gosh. Hello. Hi, Nia. Um, What'd you think? I liked it overall. Yes. I'm not. As positive as some people, but I'm not as negative as others, which makes me sound very milquetoast and in the middle. But I think that I loved the artistry behind mm-hmm. it. I think there's some really interesting stuff going on in this movie. I think that there is a very important movie to be made by a black director with black characters that touches on a lot of things like about black trauma and the cycle of black trauma and inter- intergenerational trauma. That being said, the movie is way too short for what it's trying to accomplish. Yeah. It was one of those times where I it's think. like 90 minutes. I would have loved to have it be two hours. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, Everyone talks now about things wanting to be 90 minutes, but there was a lot of things to unpack in this movie that I think really would have benefited for. Like, So there are some conversations that really should have been longer and mm-hmm. a lot of concepts, I think, to be unpacked a little bit more because there is some really interesting stuff here about like not just gentrification and white people gentrifying areas, but the roles that like 
black people can play in that and how like what what like exploiting your trauma and black trauma for art and using it to tell a story and to and to really have these like important conversations but what does that mean and like kind of trying to engage with what it means to use black trauma as your source of storytelling yeah um and i am a white i'm a white woman surprise surprise so like you know it's hard for me to kind of speak on that because that you know i don't have that experience but i think nia DaCosta was doing something really interesting there especially as she herself is a black woman trying to make art about black trauma Mm -hmm. but i don't think there was enough space for that message to really be teased out enough yeah and i also was wondering what you think about the fact that maybe the script was also a little sanitized for wider audiences you know what i mean i wonder like i was i was looking at like i after i wrote my review because my review is out there i haven't really been publicizing it because there's i i don't know the, the conversation around this movie has been sort of toxic in a way and also i i, I think that there needs to be space for um i want to hear what black and p and uh, by poc people have to say about this movie more so than a white man like myself but I do think from what I've when, when I was reading some of the reviews from black from black critics, I was seeing this thing that maybe this movie was either a not made for them, but made for a wider audience or B that maybe there was a little bit of sanitizing happening at the at the movie studio. And I, I mean, you, you never know, right? You never you never know what, yeah. what the answer is. But I do I do think that this movie tackles a lot. There's a lot of really big ideas here. Um and it has to do a lot because it has to be a sequel. It has to establish its own mythology. It has to talk about urban legends. It has to talk about uh, police violence on black bodies and violence on black bodies in general. It has to talk about, as you said, generational trauma and the way that people – because the whole idea, one of the characters in, in the movie talks about how no one in Cabrini Green talks about Candyman because to to talk about him unleashes him. But the problem is is that when they don't talk about it, it just festers and it creates this whole this cycle of, of abuse that keeps happening and you could take that as a metaphor for the way in which people have been recently talking out well not just recently but have people been more openly and more widely talking about trauma on black bodies particularly from the police and the fact that now that it's it's happening it's out there and we've said its name and so the movie kind of tackles that and it has to do all of this stuff and there's just way too much to handle in 90 minutes as well as telling some kind of, you know, cohesive story as well as being a horror movie. So there's, it's just, there's, there's too much going on in this 90 minute time frame. And unfortunately, as much as I loved, because I did love the shadow puppetry that happens in this film, a lot of it was kind of recapping things that we'd already know. So even that 90 minutes is reduced because there's a lot of those little interstitials telling a story of which to remind yeah. us of the past. And I'm just like, gosh, I wanted this to be longer because not because I, you know, it was one of those movies that I was like, I could live in this movie forever, but because there's too much story happening in 90 minutes. I also think that the shadow puppets are incredible and I oh, love the way they're used, stunning. but I also wish they had used less of them in the marketing. And I get why they did, like they did that and it makes a lot of sense, but like a lot of the stuff that you saw in marketing and the trailer, it's kind of the same thing yeah. with the shadow puppets and it's incredible and I'm glad they used it. But you know, there are some things I think, I think, but there's like, that's the thing. There's a huge burden that comes with an ip like this mm-hmm. like any big horror ip no one's gonna be happy everyone's gonna be a dick yeah. not everyone but like so many people are gonna be dicks about it it has a very large race component so we all know that there is a very vocal faction oh, my that's going to be an absolute piece of shit my favorite is oh the original wasn't woke and i'm like no the original one was talking about 
a lot of the uh, some of some things. And yes, there's problematic aspects to the original one, but uh, you can't call it not woke. The, particularly, the, the, the concept time. of Candyman is literally tied to the to the housing Cabrini Green housing projects mm-hmm. in Chicago. And if you have like, even if you just Google it. Like, you know what Cabrini Green is, the very, very violent, turbulent history that Cabrini Green has with the city of Chicago and the police and, Mm -hmm. like, you know, a lot of the issues that went on in those housing projects, but that were kind of exacerbated by rich white people. Like, whatever. Anyway, I know I'm preaching to the choir. But it's just, like, you can't win. And that's why it's, like, I had my issues with it, but I'm also, like, a fucking black woman directed this movie. Mm -hmm. It's number one in the box office. Hell like, yeah. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's well done. It's a it's a I think, you know, it's um it's an incredible thing. Like a this is a marvel of modern filmmaking. And I say that only like not only, but because like, you know, these kinds of films with these messages, they're not perfect and there are issues with the message, but they're getting made. Yeah. And they're getting number one at the box office. And I know the box office numbers right now are like kind of bullshit. Mm-hmm. But, like, a lot of people I know went to the theater for the first time since COVID to see Candyman. Yeah. And I went to the theater to see Candyman. And if you didn't go to the theater to see Candyman, I fucking get it because it's scary out there. <laughs> and like, just imagine how this would perform outside of the pandemic. Yeah. Ugh. I hate the fucking pandemic. I know. Get vaccinated, anyway, people. Please get vaccinated. And, like, don't go to the movies if you don't feel comfortable. This is not us trying to say go to the movies. No. Like, please don't if you don't feel comfortable. Like, I don't. I'm lucky that I also saw the movie at 12 p.m. And I live in like a rather progressive county that requires masks everywhere still. Like, I'm lucky. But anyway, stop saying it's fucking Jordan Peele's movie. I'm going to light <laughs> everybody on fire. Stop saying that. This yeah. is only her second movie. Uh, I, didn't, yeah. I didn't like fully realize that it was only her second movie. Yeah. And now she's going to make uh, the Marvels. Fucking the Marvel. Which, fucking incredible. Like, good, fucking good for her. That trajectory. Great. Fantastic. Fucking good for her. Yeah. That's the trajectory she deserves. I'd love to see her come back after that, though, and make another independent horror movie. Because um, I, so would I. I'd like to see her cut her teeth a little bit more on, on this genre. But, um, I mean, I, I'm sold on what she can do. And I'm excited for what she's going to create next. Me too. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> to go from that to this problematic movie that I think we both enjoyed, but it does have a problematic history behind it. And I cannot wait to dig into humanoids from the deep in our aquatic horror uh, exploration. So Mary Beth, what, what's this movie about? Let's start there. (laughs) Well, okay, hold on. Well, I know what it's about, but maybe I should just read an actual plot synopsis and not me being like, TLDR, it's Fishman raping women and killing men, and it's all because of a can a local a, a newly built cannery who is the chemical is it chemicals? I things spilling into the water are mutating creatures. Colicanths, or I think this. Yeah, they mutated sea creatures into these humanoids from the deep that have like external brains. And kind of look like. I mean, let's be honest. From- they're men in suits, and they- they're men. In, they're men in suits. Oh, they're one hundred percent. But it's got like a creature from the Black Lagoon ish mm-hmm. vibe. It's very. It's got like the fish men from H.P. Lovecraft vibes. Like if you've oh, read yeah. like if anything anything from him, it's very much that. Like this is very much like a Lovecrafty inspired movie. 
in terms of it's fishmen coming from the water, killing men, raping women, and things that happen with that. That's the movie to a T right there. That's the movie. Uh, It's directed by a woman. It is directed. Yes, it is directed by a woman. Tell me more about the problematic history because the way the way you reacted when I said it's directed by a woman really um, clued me into what we're about to talk about. I don't know anything about the history, so you're going to enlighten me. This is a Corman, a Roger Corman picture. And he said that Peters' version lacked the required exploitative elements needed to satisfy its intended audience. He said that uh, she did a very outstanding job at filming the death scenes involving the male characters, but all the rape scenes had left uh, were, I guess, filmed with cutaways or before the attacks occurred. And so he hired a male director to basically film these rape scenes to include them into the film. And I think you can tell if you're watching this movie that those scenes do not feel as well crafted as the rest of the movie. So Mary Beth is like bobbing back and forth. So I'm going to just turn it over to you for your, your reaction to that little statement right there, Mary Beth. Fuck men. (laughs) Fuck you. Because you know what? Okay, that's very that's that's interesting to hear. Because I was like, there are some moments where they're cutting away from the violence, and I'm like, fuck yeah! Like this is that shit I love. Like mm-hmm. I love it. Like I love it when we can talk about sexual violence in cinema without it being this like let's watch the woman's body get brutalized. Because there are moments in this movie where they're like, no, you don't get to see it, and like the naked female body is on screen, but it's not sensationalized. It's like, oh, it's it's tits, but like it's tits you know mm-hmm. what i mean like it's like oh my god it's tits it's like oh look her she took off her shirt and like it's got that like sexy weird vibe to it but now i'm like well, what the fuck was actually hers and what was shot to make matters because, like, worse though i forgot to mention this part <sighs> um so these changes were not communicated to the most of the people who made the film and <laughs> when <laughs> When director Barbara Peters and um, Ann Turkle, I think that's how you say her last name, who plays Dr. Susan Drake, the marine biologist in the film, when they saw the additional sequences, they asked for their names to be removed from the film, but were refused. And Turkle apparently appeared on television shows and castigated Corman for his actions. Sorry for that interruption. I didn't mean to interrupt, but that's another piece of information that I forgot to communicate when I was doing some research on this film. Not to like sour your opinion on the film because I do think it's a fun film, but <laughs> listeners, I wish you could see Mary Beth's face right now. <laughs> so he did it. All of the rape scenes were added. Uh huh. After the fact, after he saw the the film, and he didn't think it was exploitive enough, so he hired second unit director James. Sub- Bartital, I'm sorry, I can't mm-hmm. pronounce his last name, who later would go on to, d- to direct Deathstalker, which is a, uh, um, a Conan the Barbarian-esque type movie. He was hired to, quote-unquote, enliven the film. If that does not <laughs> fucking explain rape culture to you, I don't know how <sighs> else to do that. The fact that a fucking man hired a woman to make a creature feature that has rape in it. Cool. Like, love that. The actual motherfucking audacity to say that this movie isn't exploitative enough and to hire a man behind her back to 
add rape scenes to watch women's bodies be ripped apart by sea monsters? Suck my entire dick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like, it's a good movie. I like the movie. Yeah, and like, that's the thing. I actually would have liked it much better without those sequences. Like every single time I'm I, like, oh, here we go again. Like all I want is like the him ripping into the tent, cutting open the guy's back, her screaming, and then we cut away. Or like maybe it grabbing her and you like you can infer the violence, but I don't need to see a woman getting raped by a fish man. No. Like the concept in general is exploitative. Like yeah. you don't need to add more to it. I just I'm so that is so fucking sus and weird and I know everyone loves Roger Corman, but that's fucking despicable behavior. I, I on agree. a lot of different levels. Yeah. I agree. That sucks. I hate messes. Sorry. <laughs> Support more women filmmakers. We just talked about Nia DaCosta getting shafted. This shit has not ended. It will not end for a long time. But please just give women fucking credit for their work and trust them. This is the other problem. It's like you hire... It feels so much in a lot of these movies that men hire women as like a, oh, it's a diversity hire. Mm. Like, oh, we got a woman behind the camera. And then they do it. And like, oh, I don't trust the woman. So I'm going to make it my own. And it's like, I'm not saying that's not with the candy man. That's not what I'm saying about that one. Yeah. But in this case, like, that's the vibe I get where it's like, oh, the woman didn't do what I wanted to do. And the woman did something different. And oh, we can't do different. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just mulling this over in my head <sighs> uh the finale is really good yeah. <laughs> the absolute fucking decimation of the town loved it it was it, i thought it was a lot bigger than i was expecting from a um, a low budget corman pick yeah it's true like the 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 details and like the effects on the actual humanoids from the deep they're pretty it's pretty like the effects are great they look real gross and like you see them it's not just like a glimpse of a hand I'm kind of trying to like cut costs that way. Like mm -hmm. you see the like it's pretty decent creature feature effects. And like the gore's pretty good when like they rip open people's faces and yeah. things like that. Like there's some great gore. The ending gag had me laughing. The ending gag. Um although it's a complete ripoff of Alien, which came out a year a year before. Like complete ripoff, but I mean that, that's Corman. <laughs> it's also very interesting well before, like, you know, the, the problematic part of this film, besides everything else, is like mm. addressing there's a lot of racism in this film, mm -hmm. particularly against the one indigenous person who mm -hmm. was like, it's, oh, I feel like in the, the man, it's an orca and like a lot of aquatic horror movies, I feel like there's like one indigenous person who's like, hey, don't build the cannery. Hey, don't do this. <laughs> and they're like, the, and the guys are like, no, 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 no. Like, fuck you. And then are really racist. Well, they blame the dog killings on, on him. They blame the dog killings. They set his house on fire. Yeah, they firebomb his fucking house. Like, and it's like, you know, I think the movie is trying to maybe like, oh, look at the racism. But it's like, Jesus Christ. Like, it's, it's just like, you know, okay, again, again, another depiction in a horror movie of like the one indigenous person left in the area who's like the person who gets his to shoulder all the blame, but is actually innocent. And you know, he's innocent, but it's like, but why do we have to watch this person go through all this trauma? Yeah. And 1980, I get it. But it's like, it's a, a weird trend that is just like, why? But that kind of made me 
that gave me bad taste in my mouth. Yeah, I wasn't quite sure what it was if it was trying to make a statement or not. It's it this movie kind of flip-flops a lot of times on what it's trying to say or what it's doing and that was one of those cases cuz like of course this man whose house is firebombed who the entire town folk believe that he's killing dogs of course is the one that offered to go on the ship to help people when all the the white people are like, no, nah, I, I don't want to do that. So like, I think it's trying to say something. I don't think it's hundred percent successful. It also feels like they wanted to make a noble, uh, the noble savage uh, trope yep, too. That too. Yes. And like, yep. it's just, I think what is fascinating to me and that this movie just kind of made me think about a lot is just like indigenous people in movies are really are shoehorned. And like this, mm-hmm. a lot of it happens with like all like people of color but it is it, – it's like especially when like you just – you know, there isn't a lot of indigenous representation in movies in general. Right. And it's like really only a few roles that like are written for indigenous people. Mm-hmm. I know that's changing with like Reservation Dogs. I have not watched Reservation Dogs. But I know that's exciting on FX, the new show um, that, ha- boosts an, that boasts an indigenous cast. And like there's some films coming out like Wild Indian out of Sundance oh, yeah. coming out mm-hmm. about like indige- indigenous experiences directed by indigenous people. So it's it's growing, obviously. But I, I think that – We had Blood Quantum. Blood Quantum. Yes, yeah. exactly. There's just like, you know – yeah. And it's like I just don't think – People are so, like, unaware of it, I think, a lot more. Like, are just very unaware of kind of indigenous issues and, like, how complex a lot of them are mm-hmm. in terms of, like, our, really, our colonialism and <laughs> yeah. stealing their things, their land, their <laughs> <Right>. lives. <laughs> but anyway, it's Roger Corman movie, and I'm thinking too hard about this, but it's important. <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not trying to be, like, cancel the movie, but the context is super important. Well, it's like, and that's... I guess it's so sensitive talking about this stuff, because I'm like, I don't want people to think I'm saying fuck this movie because of that. But, like, you also right. can't talk about it and not acknowledge it. Well, I mean, you part of the I mean? thing about, about what we're doing is we're looking back at those films, and we're, you know, we're exploring them and seeing the history behind them. And I, I did enjoy this movie. I like this movie a whole lot. I think it's a lot of fun. I think that the scenes that were added with, with the rape are gratuitous and didn't need to be there. And I think that those were filmed, even if they had a point and were great in there, I didn't think they were filmed very well. And you could tell there's a huge quality dip between the rest of the movie and these interstitial little sequences to amp up the, the sexual violence. I like this movie a lot, but you know, there's aspects of it that have to, that need to be discussed, particularly with, as we're looking back on things and exploring it through a 2021 lens. I mean, that shit shouldn't have been acceptable back then at at the very least. Uh, But yeah, that's, that's where we're at. That is like, that is where we're at. So, I mean, check it out. It's on Tubi. Yeah. It's it's on Shudder too. It's on Shudder. Yep. And it's an, it's like an hour and 20 minutes. It's pretty short. Very short. So, yeah, just let that all simmer in your brain while you watch it. <laughs> <laughs> just know that when you're when you're sitting down to watch it, there's a lot of problematic aspects to it and know the history behind it as you're as you're watching this cuz you know, we we can enjoy the stuff that we've that in the past, but we also have to reckon with the the bad stuff with it. And Yep. That's all we're doing here. And then we can call Roger Corman a bad person. <laughs> Yeah. And also know that he is an influential horror figure, but he can... Doesn't bad. mean that he's Doesn't a good he's person. Good. Nope. Um, on that note... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that does it uh, for this week's episode, Minisode. But before we wrap up, Terry, what movie are we talking? Okay. Oh, no. Who are we talking to on Monday? Okay, so... Did on... I fuck it up? No, I didn't. Sorry. 
I can't read. I can't read, Terry. Terry, who are we talking to on Monday? <laughs> oh, boy. This episode. Um, <laughs> we sit down with writer-director Mickey Reese uh, to talk about his films, uh, Climate of the Hunter, which is currently streaming on Shudder in the U.S. And it's not, it just hit VOD in the U.K. I think el- elsewhere in the world it's out on VOD to rent. I'm not sure all of the streaming legalities between whether it's on shutter or not, but it's out in there. And then his exorcism kind of satire parody, Agnes, it just played at Fantasia. Um, and it's wild and fun. And we are talking about his wild and terrifying first and only time watching the 1982 sci-fi rape revenge, alien sex, comedy, horror, punk as, Fuck. Punk as fuck, liquid sky. It was, it was a weird episode, but in a good way. <laughs> it did not. This, this is, episode did not go anywhere I was expecting to go at no. any point. Nope. And, but it was a blast. And Mickey it is. Was he was a joy to talk to. If you've seen Climate of the Hunter, Agnes, like that'll give you kind of an idea of like the twists and turns of the episode. <laughs> yes. Like his movies, we, we not- typically he definitely like went against the expectation of what we usually do for the show, but like it worked. Uh huh. It worked really well. I wouldn't have had it any other way. No. And he so. was a delight. He was an absolute delight. He is an absolute delight. Uh, now, uh, unfortunately, Liquid Sky is not streaming anywhere. It might be on YouTube in, in an illegal on, copy, maybe. It's on YouTube. It's on YouTube. But it's a Vinegar Syndrome release, so if you've bought the blu-rays from vinegar syndrome you might have it y'all it's incredible it's fucking incredible it's good. like i'll just i'll spoil that for you right now it's fucking incredible and you need to watch it and everyone needs to watch it so we can talk about it and then let me write about it forever about uh-huh. the power of the vagina um anywho <laughs> yes oh man yes okay and then um what are we talking about for next week's uh mini so mary <gasps> We are jumping to the 90s with my queen, Femke Jensen, with Deep Rising. Yes. I'm so excited to revisit this for me and visit for you, right? First time watch for me. Hell yes. So I'm very excited for that. It's a huge train going by my house really quick. Hold on a second. Can you hear it? Mm-hmm. You know what I can't hear, though? Cars. Fucking baby. cars. Oh, by the way, you might have, listeners, you might have noticed over the last, uh, I mean, with uh, um, Zero's episode and probably Mickey's, that I sound a little echoey. And it's because I'm in this new place and I am currently trying to sound proof it to make it less echoey, but you will not hear cars driving by anymore. It's a new age. <laughs> it's a new age. Um. Anyway, listeners, you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. Did you watch a film that we watched this week and have thoughts? Um, do you have suggestions for movies that we should talk about? Uh, send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Gailey Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. Please. Please. Um, So thank you, Derek Parr, for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time.
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs>